Hey folks, welcome to a special installment of the Massage Tools Podcast. This one is a special topic. It is my experience at the 2020, which were hosted in 2021, Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan. I've had a request from other massage therapists. I've had requests from my clients to kind of get some of this into an audio or video format. So this is my attempt at it. Welcome to the Massage Tools Podcast, your home for cool interviews and reviews. Big questions usually surround like typical day, favorite experience, least favorite experience, what was the food like, and a bunch of different questions. So I'm going to kind of head through all of those. Couple things you need to know going into it. I may say USOPC, that is the US United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. And they're kind of the in charge of all the US athletes, staff, etc. I may say NGB, which is a national governing body, which I work with USA diving, that is an NGB, just like there's USA swimming, USA ski and snowboard, USA this, USA that. A lot of the sports have their own uh, entities that kind of oversee it. Within that, there's the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and that's probably the last acronym I'm going to try and throw at you for right now. But the IOC doles out credentials to all of the national, and in our case, the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee. They dole out a certain number of uh, credentials to that body, and then that body decides how they're going to hand them out. An athlete that makes it the games they qualify the spot they get a full credential and that means access to the village access to the dining hall access to their venue and all the transportation in between outside of that there were some other types of credentials and our high performance director and the person at the usopc that helped kind of manage the credentials they work some awesome magic a little bit of a shell game here and there and i was able to be in the village every single day for me and my role it wasn't critical i was on the pool deck so i got a a full credential very late in the game basically when the platform event started but i was able to access the village and importantly, the dining hall, every day. And that was, again, because of credentialing. And honestly, it was probably the best setup that I've, the um, you know, I, I contrast it to the Rio games. And uh, having talked to other providers that have been in other games, it's like I had a suite setup. So I stayed in a hotel for just about the entirety of games and then would take transportation from that hotel to the Olympic Village. So my typical day is wake up in my tiny, tiny, tiny Japanese hotel room, uh, chime into our Zoom call. We had a medical meeting with all the U.S. providers, and we covered uh, everything from COVID numbers to um, updates to emergency action plans, how to interact with the poly clinic, how to, um, or, and then fun things like shout outs to other providers that helped out and, and maybe goals for the day and things like that. So it took about a half hour after that would head over to the village and then make my way to the, uh, sports medicine area. And I was about to describe it as a small clinic, but actually it was 
kind of a huge clinic, lots of tables, lots of space uh, accessible to all of the providers and thus athletes there were there for Team USA. Uh, the The room I spent most of my time in was called the recovery room. It had uh, Norma Tech, which we lovingly call Norma. Uh, they're the quote-unquote squeezy pants or space pants. Uh, they kind of assist in recovery post-exercise. They also have game readies, which if you've ever experienced those, they do compression and cooling. Um, those are available to the athletes. They could come in, hook them up, uh, run them on their own on some some pads, uh, some cushioning on the floor, or on a on a open massage table if they wanted. And then there were a bunch of massage tables, and there were three therapists, massage therapists that were there with the USOPC proper, and they were kind of assigned to any athlete that wanted to come down, sign up, get work. They were there and available for the athletes until, um, well, they were there and available for the athletes, especially athletes that didn't have a medical team that traveled with them. So in the case of diving, that's who I went with. I was also accompanied by two other providers. We had our head athletic trainer for diving. We also had an athletic trainer slash physician's assistant that was part of our, our medical team. So um, down in the recovery room, the athletes would come see me, massage therapy sessions for them. Uh, other athletes would be in that area. Other NGBs, again, the governing bodies, they would come in and uh, kind of work similarly to me where their athletes would come to them, like skateboard or cycling or volleyball, a bunch of different uh, NGBs kind of their massage folks filtered through this room. So it was... A cool place to be, uh, a couple of different reasons. Every room in the clinic had a television, and the way the circuit, you know, closed circuit TV site type setup was, there were 40 channels of Olympic events. So you could watch any event that was on going live, you could change channel to it. So while road racing was going on, you could switch over to fencing, you could switch over to sailing or, or whatnot. So there was never really a moment where there wasn't something happening. Uh, of course, we prioritize that with any any time there was a U.S. athlete going, that was the channel that was on, uh, and occasionally rock, paper, scissors for times where there was more than one athlete. Um, what was also kind of fun about the recovery room is a lot of the disciplines came through, uh, meaning they came in for massage or to hop in the game readies or whatnot. And again, kind of twofold with everybody coming into this room. The one cool part is you get someone who maybe was in a different discipline or days where the women went and the men were off or vice versa, they'd be in the room and they'd be kind of explaining what's going on. So like a male fencer might be explaining, you know, the, the women's epe match that was going on. It's like, Oh, this person's really good from this country, but our, our athlete can probably beat them because they can do this or they give you nuances or explain the scoring. So you really got to learn about kind of the action of the sport and then it was kind of fun to watch the uh, athletes interact with the massage therapist in particular because that's mostly who was in the room practicing. The the athlete would be like, oh, you know, this is bugging me. And it's some 
nuance to their sport. So they kind of explain the position they were in or move around and the, you know, the massage therapist be like, Oh, okay, I get it. Pop them on the table and, and get them some relief. And it, it speaks to the, the versatility of the massage therapist. Like it's awesome when uh, an NGB can bring their own staff that really knows the sport or knows how the athletes feel during the sport, um, which I was in that fortunate position. But the ones that were covering everything, all the sports, you know, they would go from a baseball player to a water polo player to a fencer to a rhythmic gymnast. And it's like, those are some drastically different body types. And they'd be able to flow right through and address the problem. So the USOPC brought a crazy good staff. And, you know, it gives you some imposter syndrome sometimes to be standing in that room watching how seamlessly uh, basically strangers, perfect strangers, could interact with each other. You would have uh, an athlete get assessed by an athletic trainer and they'd do a little bit of treatment and then bring them over to a massage therapist to kind of finish up with some lymphatic drainage. Or, you know, a, a massage therapist would work through an area and kind of palpate and like, hmm, this feels a little bit off. Let's, let's, uh, have you pop over to the chiropractor, have the chiropractor come in, take a look and see if they wanted to do a mobilization or, or something along those lines. So real neat, um, setup and just like such a cool integration between all the professionals. And it's one of those things that's really kind of inspirational. It's like, Wow, this is like everybody working together. Uh, kind of sound, kind of sounds a little frou frouy, but that's okay. It, like the, it was just such a cool, um, just cool seamless integration with again all the providers working together. Uh, and like I didn't mention it yet, but they had everything from you know physicians to athletic trainers, physical therapists, chiropractors. There was a chiro who also did acupuncture, physician's assistant. I'm sure I'm missing uh, some job titles in there. And then kind of the unspoken uh, you know powerhouses are also the mental health officers. And this was a new addition to an Olympic Games. Sports psychology has has traveled with teams in the past, and they've been an, an integral part to um, Olympic performance and been there. But they added mental health officers, and they were kind of stationed at the village. So a lot of times, sports psych would go to where the athletes are. So if there were athletes competing, they would be on site with the athletes competing. If all the athletes were back at the village, they would be back at the village. Um, but the mental health officers were there for technically anybody, but, you know, predominantly the athletes, um, to kind of troubleshoot some issues. And again, they worked in seamlessly with the providers. The providers were able to kind of get heads up on some folks and be like, Hey, let's, uh, let's have a little chat with our buddy over here. And, you know, it was a great, great integration of, of a lot of different disciplines. And, I attribute a good amount of, uh, you know, the success of the athletes that had anything other than perfect health going through some of that, or a lot of that success is to the medical team, uh, that the USOPC brought along. So not detracting from the, the cool team that USA diving brought, 
eh. but uh, it was kind of neat to kind of uh, stand back and watch the process happen. All right. That's cool stuff. Uh, there's still some more questions about my day. Again, after uh, working my athletes, uh, and I pre- predominantly did what we call a flush in the sport massage industry. It's a post-workout, uh, post-competition, um, kind of pushing some fluids around, if you would. Uh, in some ways, I think for the athletes, it definitely served as a way to just kind of decompress kind of a, from a mental standpoint, shift them from sympathetic to more parasympathetic state, uh, get some relaxation going on for them. Um, and then, you know, there's some injury management that happened as well. Uh, I'm not going to get into any more details than that because uh, I'm not, but you know, and so like I said, some injury management, nothing too bad. The athletes basically managed whatever the athletes came in with and uh, worked them from there. And at the end of the day, I'd take a bus back to the hotel and then go sleep in my tiny, tiny, tiny Japanese hotel room. Uh, the food, of course, I did eat at the village. It was fantastic. Uh, it did get a little monotonous. Again, three weeks, even though they had a rotating schedule. Um, after three weeks in a row, you know, sushi does get a little bit tired. So, no, it doesn't. Not, not really. Um, but yeah, uh, I, they did have sushi every single day. If you wanted it, you could get a three meals a day. Um, pretty basic rolls and whatnot. It wasn't like super fancy there's no, no fatty tuna or anything like that. But, um, they, they had everything from, uh, Halal, they had gluten-free areas, then they had Japanese cuisine, and they had some neat things like takoyaki, or um, like I already mentioned the sushi, gyoza, the pot stickers, and um, curry almost every day. And then going over from there, they had an Asian section, and then the rest of it was kind of generic, nondescript cuisine but it was uh, broken up by cooking method. So they had a baked, they had a steamed, and then they had a grilled section. So you could get grilled okra or steamed okra or fried okra and whatnot. And then they had the pasta, pizza, french fry uh, section. And that was often populated. <laughs> the The Japanese with the sushi and the, the pasta pizza one were probably the most popular of the uh, options available. Um, <clears throat> they had such great baked goods. If you ever go to Japan, I think Japan does bread, uh, pretty darn well. Um, especially when you start getting into like the specialty bakeries where I, you know, we didn't have access to that. Like we, we could not go out, um, I guess doubling back on the COVID mitigation procedures. We didn't get to go out. Um, it was the reason it was hotel to village, village to hotel, we weren't allowed to leave. The hotel was sort of an extension of the village. So no one got to go sightseeing. You didn't get to go to Akihabara and check out the, you know, the city lights or Asakusa and see the big temple there or anything. It was, we were there for business and with the COVID mitigation stuff, it was daily spit tests for the saliva antigen and then head to work essentially and then head back home to sleep so not not really a whole lot of fun to have been had uh outside of just being in the village the village itself is neat because um 
you know, one of the favorite games of people to play is, Ooh, I wonder what sport that athlete does. Um, and kind of guessing that tall, really, really tall, lean person, like, geez, are they volleyball or are they basketball or, you know, are they a track athlete or, or things like that? So it's fun to kind of guess the body type and then wait from the walk by and then try to eyeball their credential to see where they're, what sport they were in and whatnot. So that's a fun game, fun game to play, uh, when you're at the Olympics. Um, but you know, like I said, uh, the village was entertaining, uh, cause it, you had to make the entertainment you could again, grateful that the games got to happen. Um, that was one of the things, one of the comments from just people outside of the Olympic experience were like, um, it must've been tough for the athletes without crowds and things like that. And, and honestly, the thing I heard most frequently from the athletes is just gratitude. They were grateful that the games were happening. I mean, obviously they were delayed a year already. Um, so most of them were just happy to be there, uh, and, and just happy that they got to do their event and represent their country and, and, yeah, the, the things they, they kind of go there for. I don't think anyone necessarily thinks about the crowds per se when they're like, I just made the Olympic team. I wonder what the crowd's going to be like. It's pretty low priority for them. So it was, uh, I think the, the athletes had a a good attitude about it, whether it's, uh, what they'd kind of had to figure out on the way there, or there was the genuine first response of like, I'm still going to games. I'm still going to games. So a lot of fun for them. Um, the only, I guess my, uh, you know, when life was getting me down, I made a comforter was that I got to be on television. Uh, there's kind of this talk in the, like, especially with my athletic training friends, they, they like to say this the most. It's like, you don't want to see the medical staff on television because usually that means somebody's injured and they're down on the pool deck, they're down on the court or something like that, and the medical team has to rush out to to take care of them. So you don't want to be seen as, as uh, you know, they're the ninjas of the uh, uh, people on television. They're like, where is he? I don't know. I don't care. Um, but for... Me, it was kind of neat. We, uh, once I had that credential that allowed me into the venue during the competition, I don't do any work. So my work was to go up and be a cheerleader in the stands and hoot and holler, uh, and wave excitedly at, at my athletes when they were getting ready to go. And after they hit the water, make some noise, dance around excitedly as we were encouraged to do as opposed to shouting, um, but that was my goal, and it was kind of fun because I got a whole bunch of text messages from friends and family and uh, with pictures of me on the TV screen. And like, we just saw you on television. <laughs> so as I like to joke, uh, to steal from a good friend of mine when I got back, like Kelly Cox, as seen on TV. So uh, like I said, just make, making my lemonade out of lemons there and whatnot. Um those were the majority of questions that I got. Like, what did I do while I was there? What was my day? What was the food like? Uh, you know, and I definitely wanted to give a huge shout out to both the diving crew, the high performance director, the team manager, my fellow medical team, the uh, coaches and athletes. And of course, a huge tip of the hat to the medical crew that was there for the USOPC. 
Uh, if you have any more questions about my Olympic experience, about an Olympic experience, uh, feel free to send me a message. Easiest way is probably going to be at www.massage. Uh, I almost gave you my business website, www.massagetoolspodcast.com. Uh, there's contact links on there. So uh, go feel reached out there, or we are on social media at Massage Tools Podcast, except for Twitter. It's Massage Tools on Twitter, but Massage Tools Podcast um, on uh, social media. So thank you for joining us, listening to my rambling. I hope you found it entertaining, and I hope you enjoy. All right, folks, thanks again for joining us. Good day, good evening, and good night.